your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show, Sundays at 2 o'clock. Among our guests, two of Broadway's brightest stars, and they're starring in the hit shows that are bringing in the crowds. Jesse Williams, whom you know, from all his television triumphs, is starring in Take Me Out. He's a remarkable actor, and it's a show with many, many layers. It's now on its second time. It had its run, and then there was such a demand that they brought it back. So it's a wonderful cast, and Jesse is truly a star. So I know you don't want to miss that. And then the superb actress and this woman can sing like you never heard, Victoria Clark, and she's starring in Kimberly Akimbo, another great big hit on Broadway. So you're always calling and asking me, what do we spend, should we spend money on if we go to theater? And most people don't go to that much theater. Here are two shows that I promise you, you're going to love. A lot of dimension, You'll cry, you'll laugh. These are things I want you to put on your list. And don't forget, we are on every Sunday beginning at 2 o'clock. We're on Facebook. You name it, we're there. And I love that you're part of our audience. Plus, we do features which tell you the best things to eat and where to go to eat them in New York City. And you get an opportunity to ask Joan. So, Everything on a Sunday, 2 o'clock, The Joan Hamburg Show. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to The Joan Hamburg Show. And I'm excited today because I have a really special actor who is starring in a special play, Jesse Williams who you know, he's one of our really great actors, and you know him as Dr. Jackson Avery on Grey's Anatomy, where he worked for many, many years, and now he's playing Darren Lemming in Take Me Out at the Schoenfeld Theater. And I think it's right. You'll have to um, tell me through February 5th. I know they extended it. That's correct, yes. Good so morning. that's exciting. Thank that you. well, it, it's it's a wonderful play, and of course, I saw it a while ago when it opened, and now it's back again, which is great. And as you point out, this is like you're starting a whole new career. It's like beginning again in something different. It it does it does feel that way. Thanks so much for having me. It it does feel it's a pretty interesting process. I started acting when I was almost 30 and um, immediately began on a big network show. And so I didn't already have the experience of popping around in different forms of film and television and stage. Um, so now that I'm, I'm not doing that anymore, I get to play again and try something new. And this is my first play, first three-act play. Um, and being able to come out as a lead in an incredible piece of material written by Richard Greenberg and for us to have such success. It's a spectacularly written play and for us to be able to um, pack houses and, and learn so much on the fly and 
um, win the Tony again. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty exciting. Ride. That's right. And are you a baseball person? You know what? I grew up as a baseball person. I grew up playing uh, essentially year round. It was a great form of bonding for my father and I. Um, one of my brothers played as well. Um, so it was it was a big part of my life, studying the game, appreciating the game. My father used it as um, a metaphor for so many things in life. So it actually, a lot of that kind of rings true uh, to me as a person uh, for me to connect that and channel that for the character. A lot of the play really is an homage to the game and the symbolism in the game. So uh, that does have a, a deep kind of nostalgic connection for me. Were you good at baseball as pretty, a kid? I was pretty damn good, yeah. I was pretty damn good, actually. <laughs> I know my kid was not good as a kid in baseball, and we had a farm in rural Vermont, and everyone, the farmers, the neighbors, they'd all come over to the old cornfields and play baseball. And my kid, you know, was one of those kids when he was little that they didn't want to pick him first because yeah. he was not... And he was so afraid of being hit by the ball as a little kid that he raised his hand up and the ball mm. went into the mitt totally by accident. So he he became a star and a baseball <laughs> hero who had then ended up loving the sport. So it's a great sport. And it's a wonderful play too, because I'm I love stories. And this play tells all kinds of stories that reflect so many of our lives, and I'm sure your life in many ways. Yeah, it really is. a. It's just so, I mean, I catch myself, we did two shows yesterday, and I find myself at different times on that stage just pinching, like saying to myself, wow, this is such an incredible play. Mm. I'm, I'm such a fan of the play while doing it. There, is so, there are so many different um, interwoven storylines that it's so unpredictable. It keeps audiences gasping and laughing and crying. And um, it, it is, there's such a wide range of intense um, moments. And it's just a great confluence of events for different characters. And there's, uh, there's so many places to hook onto um, that uh, it really is, it really is a, a wonderful experience, both for the viewer and for us as performers. And Jesse, you were a teacher at a certain point too. So That's how right. did that path lead you to being an actor? Well, uh, yes, I, I taught um, high school public uh, and public schools in, in Philadelphia, where I was a student at Temple University and, and after I graduated. Um, and I ended up, film was one of my majors at Temple. and. I was making student films and wandering on the, taking the Chinatown bus up from Philadelphia to New York to shoot with other students and shoot. I was uh, shooting films with, you know, folks at NYU and Columbia and just getting jobs off of Craigslist and making films. And that led me to wanting to play around in front of the camera as well to, because the goal is to tell a story and figuring out ways to tell stories. And I, I always found that the lens, the camera lens, is really the gateway for so many of us for information, what's happening in the world, how to empathize with, with folks from other walks of life. It's a terrific teaching tool and form of uh, edutainment. And so that was something that was really compelling to me. And I stumbled into some work in doing some modeling and commercials. And that led me to a terrific agent 
um, named Michael Guy, who connected me to uh, ultimately. I quit the I quit that business for a couple of years. To, I was an activist and organizer and, and high school teacher. And then when I returned, um, I looked him up, and uh, he gave me got me one meeting with one small agency in New York to try to do some acting to continue that storytelling experience. And uh, I I signed with them right away and immediately booked the classic New York television job, Law and Order. And soon after that, was hired by Edward Albee himself at Cherry Lane Theater to do the American Dream in the Sandbox. Uh, and that was my first time ever on stage uh, in those one-act plays. And I had the incredible privilege of spending several months with, with Mr. Albee and doing a great set of plays with Judith Ivey and George Barteneff and Myra Carter, uh, Harmon Walsh, a really great wow. experience. Yeah, really yeah. pretty spectacular. So that got me, that gave me the book. That gave me the understanding of what it feels like to be able to make something new every night and, uh, and to be a great listener, which is all acting really is. Right, and then, of course, you had to adjust, which didn't take that long, from TV, which is not the same as theater. And live theater is a whole different experience, too. Totally different sport. Yeah, I've, it, it, they feel like two completely different leagues, and I don't mean that as a value judgment, just as an experience and what you bring to the table. Um, it's 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 an incredible learning experience for me. Um, I'm learning every day. I'm still making mistakes, and and still figuring out ways to to you know form and shape the, this character. And that was part of why we came back, actually. Um, after that first run, winning the Tony, it was terrific, limited engagement. Uh, I still found I had it in my bones. I was still running the play everywhere I was on vacation. I was still running it. I still had, we were we were really cooking with gas at the end of that run, and I felt like we had more to do. So we rallied the troops and were lucky enough to be invited back. And um, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we are. We're in, we're in a house at the Schoenfeld that's twice as big as the Hayes, and. Um, I'm putting on a hell of a show. I'm really grateful for this opportunity. And the audience are loving it. I'm afraid they are. They really yeah, are. So, well, you're going to be doing this for a long time. and But there is something about standing on a stage where it's all of the moment. You know, no retakes, no nothing. There you exactly. are. Making it I, work. Know, I've been I was saying it feels like it's like acting with a gun to your head, you know, it just, um, it is, because I've gone up, we've made mistakes, we've had parts, huge chunks, skipped or whatever, and, and you just, you don't have a choice. It's the absolute opposite of film and television where you can say, you know what, I need to go again. And um, it's, uh, it is really thrilling. There's a lot of adrenaline pumping and um, it, it just, you never get comfortable. As soon as you think you're in the pocket, uh, there are so many other variables at play. And that's a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, metaphor for life. Yeah. And in the midst of this, how did Only Murders in the Building come where you're joining that cast for this new oh, season? Oh, yeah. I'm so that, excited We all that. love that. <laughs> you know. It's a wonderful show. And the two absolute legends who are just... Yeah, how much in, in fun. Steve and Marty. They're just so incredible. I was, I met with the showrunner, John Hoffman, uh, in the, during the hiatus in between these two runs, actually. And they offered me this really exciting opportunity. And 
I, I jumped at it. I'm a huge fan of the show. I grew up sneaking down the stairs, looking at, watching Saturday Night Live over my mother's shoulder, looking at watching Martin Short and Steve Martin work their magic. Um, and they're just absolute titans. And uh, what an incredible opportunity. And working with Paul Rudd and Selena, you know, we have just so much to do. I actually have another table read tomorrow, I believe. So, so I'm so excited to also just be able to stay in New York after this run and and work with you know move over to some really interesting comedy and um, it's it's awesome actually I had dinner with Marty Short and Steve came to the play a couple of nights ago and we went out to dinner and we're hitting it, was it off comfortably. Yeah, I'm so yeah, glad. It was, it was wonderful. But you know it's really interesting. So many actors struggle, you know, and I've heard. I have a daughter-in-law who's an actress, and I hear so many performers say, hey, if I don't get anything by 30 or 35, I'm done. I can't mm. take all this rejection. You started, you were almost 30, I think, when you started mm -hmm. really getting good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I didn't start until, you know, I was working at law firms and waiting tables and teaching and, Organizing, so I didn't really start until uh, a little bit before I turned 29. Mm -hmm. um, and I, but I, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. I did, I did say to myself at the time, I'm going to try this for 18 months, and if it doesn't work, I'll go to law school. I always, I always <laughs> expected I would become a civil rights lawyer, or um, I was going to go to law school or film school. And I'll give this a little bit, and and coming up in New York as a young adult, surrounded by. You know, artists and struggling actors right. who have been, like you just said, pounding away for a decade. And and I, I didn't grow up with acting as a childhood dream. It was a new thing that I kind of um, got a taste for, thought it would be fun, but I didn't need it. I have other interests. So I think that let me not grip too tight. And, and I'm going to play. And if it works, it works. If not, I'll go and, and find fulfillment somewhere else. And um, I, I think that was a little bit of a liberating uh, entry point for me. Um, and, but no matter what, I have been incredibly lucky uh, in circumstances here. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful every day for this opportunity to play around and learn and grow. Right, uh, right. And, and you have a lot of talent. And it's, and it's interesting because you have to take chances. And sometimes yeah. that's too scary. But... It's you were doing something else at Temple University, writing, directing, and then acting. Suddenly said hello. Don't forget me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is certainly this is certainly a risk. Doing this play was a very scary prospect. Doing something at this level with you know no no net on this tightrope in this highly critical um, arena coming from a very safe place of a big network television show that's, um, you know, a monster hit all over the world to just going into a little house and performing right. in front of everyone. It was a, a pretty scary proposition, but it's exactly what I needed at that time in my life. And you learned that you are a risk taker in many ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So it works do you remember that opening night with all that angst oh, and do. everything i do i remember i remember the first preview we did kind of a photo call and a preview for maybe only 50 people and 
you know, I, I don't really get, I get excited. There's nerves, but I, I actually have been found myself experiencing more true nervousness um, at random shows when I know there's somebody who I admire in the audience than just opening the show. I'm comfortable public speaking. I'm comfortable in front of a crowd. Um, for whatever reason, it became, it, it, I, but it's one of the things that keeps you alive. We've done, I don't know, 170 shows or something now, and I'll still get a little nervous when I know there's somebody, Jessica Lang was in the audience last night. And, mm. you know, when, 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 um, you know, Brian Cranston's in the audience with these people who've come to see the show, you get, okay, all right, this is a, it's a okay. new, it's a new step for me because it's also a different, um, a different peer group that is enjoying my work. You know, I've, for, for folks my age and, uh, a lot of artists, they might not have watched Grey's Anatomy, but they're aware of me as a, as an activist. They've seen uh-huh. speeches and remarks that I've given as a public advocate but not necessarily seen my artistry. So this is a new, this is a new level for me to be meeting folks in the, in the lobby after or coming backstage and talking artist to artist, um, making eye contact with, with, uh, with that in mind. So that's a new exciting um, platform. Uh, right, and uh, the really... play itself, uh, your character is a uh, baseball player, a mixed race player on a fictitious, the Empire's baseball team and your character reveals that he's gay and then you have to deal which was unexpected in many cases with how your teammates and the world at large viewed you it was a whole different thing so a lot of big issues in this play yes a lot of big issues and you know this is a this we talk about the physical demands the mental demands of of being able to put eight, nine shows up a week for this long. And, and on top of that, I would add, it's, a, it's the emotional experience because my character uh, has a real firestorm of uh, emotional heartbreak and devastation. And he's got very high highs and very low lows uh, during this production. So it's a lot to contend with. Yes, as you said, the character comes begins to play as kind of the king of the world, the best player on the best team. Mm-hmm untouchable crystal you know just a really clean record and no obstacles in his life and but the act of coming out without changing anything else about his behavior just by saying to the world that he was gay all the men around him completely change uh best friends employees managers teammates uh so all just watching your world shift underneath you and him grasping sometimes mm-hmm. desperately uh, for a handhold when he's never had to reach for a handhold before because they've always been presented to him. So you're watching kind of a, a hero fumble and stumble uh, in a very cerebral, interesting way. The writing I cannot say enough about. Uh, Richard Greenberg is absolutely gives you every single, in every single scene, so many um, wonderful con- concepts and ideas to chase and try to uh, to play with there's a great sense of wonder and mystery as well as intellectual um, leadership in, in the writing it's really it's really a wonderful opportunity for everybody so Jesse when they announced that after the play did its run it had a limited run at one point that they were going to um, consider strongly a second run 
Was that thrilling or was that, oh my gosh, give me a break, I'm tired? Well, well, to be honest, they asked me when we were not even finished. We had our first limited run, then we were extended. Then they came and asked if I would just stay on and just keep the show going. Uh, at which point I said, no, please get out of my dressing room. I'm so tired. I do. I need to, I, I don't, we, we've done it. I don't want to, I want to go be with my children and have a, at least some time <clears throat> off. And I, I was just beat up. It's the first time I'd ever done something like this. And I thought that was that I really did. And that's when after the days, a week or two off, it was nice to be able to, Sleep, you know, because another thing about the demand, another thing about the demand of the play is it's not just the play itself. I have to be in the gym every day. You know, I'm 42 years old. I'm, I, I have and I have to work to be in shape and mm-hmm. eat a certain way. And there's all these, there's a lot of other rigor around being able to put on this production. And um, but my, my love for the work is what won out. So as time passed, I, we I said, you know what? let's talk about this because I, there's more in the tank here. I want more. And most importantly, I wanted more people to have a chance to experience the play. Uh, it, 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 I just believe in it so much. And I watched the way it impact, it impacted folks. Yeah, it does. There's, there's more, the people need to see this. So that's, so I was all in at that point to bring it back. I just needed to feel it in my gut. I, you know, I need, I didn't want it to be a calculated move uh, to be about anything, but, but my feel for the art form, and once that that found me, uh, we were we were um, we were like a rocket right back over. You were okay, and, and we was... almost everybody back except for we, almost the entire same cast. Um, okay. Patrick Adams wasn't wasn't able to join us, so Bill Heck uh, took over in the role of Kippy, and he is absolutely astounding in the role. Um, so we're 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 really happy, lucky. happy. And was it hard for you, Jesse? To find Darren Lemming it took a lot of work to get inside it, him. It took, yeah. Well, it took a lot of of research and yeah, just being a student of what that mindset is. You know, I have I have a familiarity with the game. I have a familiar, familiarity with the locker room, but this trajectory for a character. And there is a level of um, arrogance, if not obliviousness at some point, the, the denial, um, which really it's not a denial, but a lack of experience with being humbled, a lack of experience with having to uh, work hard, but where, where talent meets effort is very different for this character than it is in my life. Mm-hmm. But um, I found the human thread. I, I, was, I, mean, I think I've been able to really find it, the emotional arc and set of expectations and what my character wants, needs, and expects, and what he's equipped, what tools he has in his toolbox uh, in each one of these uh, circumstances. So I, I'm learning and growing every show. I've made new and interesting discoveries on line delivery and, and moments and listening as recently as two nights ago, which is just, it's just such a thrilling thing, the idea that you can find freedom and live through repetition which it's, you know, people well, that's wonder, interesting. How, you know, yeah, doing do the same do thing it? every night, doesn't it get boring? But yeah. It doesn't because there's something new in there. If you dig deep enough, if you're open. Yeah. 
and you had once said that you need to be scared a little bit as an actor. Do you still feel that way, that it's essential to your growth? I, I think it's incredibly useful. Um, I'm not sure if it's, it's essential after a period of time because things, they have, uh, you know, an arc uh, in the experience. And at a certain point, just like anything, even a relationship or uh, you can love a movie, you can love a song. It's a good example. And you can start, you can play it over and over again. But at a certain point, at the 400th spin or the 40th play, I should put this away so that it's fresh again later. Mm. So everything has an end um, uh, for me at that stage of my life and my career, personal and professional. I needed something new, exciting that wasn't for the money. It wasn't for the safety. It wasn't for the convenience. It was for me, for my soul, and to be challenged. And that, so when this time ends, I know that I, that I stretched. I know that I put myself in a vulnerable position. It helps you grow, uh, especially as a man in this world trying to figure out how to be vulnerable and be available to myself and others truly, emotionally, present and mature. Uh, being able to do work like this, I, I, I would like to think, helps foster that kind of growth. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Jesse. A great thank job you. and a treat for all of us to be able to see this and giving us Darren Lemming. Continued success. We'll talk again. Thanks. Thank you so very much. We've got a couple more weeks. Come out and join us uh, until February 5th. I so appreciate you. Thank you. Okay. Take right. care, Jesse. Take care. And I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. You've got to go get tickets for this show. You don't have that much time, but it's a wonderful show with a lot of issues, and it's got everything that you want in theater. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More ahead. Taking you behind the curtain, it's The Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's a real treat for me this new year to start off with Victoria Clark, who's one of my favorite actresses. You have heard her wonderful music. She's a singer, a director. She's been in so many Broadway musicals, in film, in TV. She's got albums, and including a fairly new one, that's out. And to this day, I remember when I saw the light in the piazza and was literally stunned by it. It left such an impact. And, of course, now, Victoria, in another huge role, starring as Kimberly in Kimberly Akimbo. By the way, incredible reviews. It's on Broadway. It opened not that long ago at the Booth Theater. So I was really excited when I saw it. And also, knowing the story, questioned, can Victoria, who is not a teenager, play the role of a 15, 16 year old, you know, look like her, dress like her. And guess what? It worked. It, you had no idea. You just got caught up in this incredible, funny, sad play. And and it's what we all need. You know, we've gone through tough times and there's a lot of theater, but I was so excited to find theater that we could laugh at, we could cry at, and really relate to it. It was important. So guys, you gotta go see it. 
it's not such an easy ticket to get, but keep going because it's going to make you feel very happy. And Victoria, when you heard about Kimberly Akimbo, did you start when it started off Broadway? Yes, I did the entire run at the Atlantic Theater in New York, and it was a thrill. And it was in the height of uh, Omicron during COVID. And um, yeah, we, uh, we, we took on a commercial producer, David Stone, during that time. And, and uh, yeah, so we, we knew we were coming to Broadway um, about this time last year. And it's such a thrill to be with you on the show, Joan. I'm a huge fan, and, and thank you so much for having me today. But, you know, to, to look like a teenager, and yet it was so real and so natural, and that's the part that's amazing. Now, I don't <laughs> remember how old you said in one of the interviews you had you are. I think in your early 60s or something like that. That's right, yeah. But Mm -hmm. you look just like you could be 14 or 15, and there was nothing sort of awkward about it. It just was you. And what a gift that is. Thank you. I don't know exactly how I found her at that age. I I think I'm kind of a goofy, silly. There's a lot of silliness in me, so... um, and a, quite a bit of nerdiness also. So I think I just try to access, access the joy and the openness and sort of that curiosity and passion and longing of that age, which is pretty unadulterated. Um, I think as we get older, we tend to cover things up and make excuses for ourselves. And at that age, if we're really honest, it, um, there is an openness and a vulnerability. And so it's just a it's a matter of me being brave enough to open that up. No, and I remember reading, and I then I suddenly realized when you played Light in the Piazza, it was about a woman whose child had a physical condition, and mm-hmm. there was a real possibility, that I think, that she would never, like, grow up. She would always be a child. And now you're playing... A child, a teenage child, and you look really great. But how do well, you get into that kind of child's head and body? Well, it involves a lot of craft. I mean, I think everything you see and audiences see, there's there's a lot of more exploring that I can do, but there, every moment has been carefully thought through from from many people's perspective. I mean, this is a community project. We're all interrelated. Um, really great theater or any work of art, right, is a, is a collaboration. And this is truly the work of our director, Jessica Stone, and, of course, the source material, which is David Lindsay Bear's incredible play, um, which and now he's continued. He wrote the book and the lyrics to this, and Janine Tazori wrote the beautiful music, and it it is a, an incredibly funny, funny show. And um, so I think, you know, one way in is using the humor and the absurdity of the story and the premise, right? This fictitious disease, it, many people think it is the real progeria. The a real disease, yeah. It's not a real disease. It's a made-up disease that David David created to, to give us um, the groundwork for someone who is running out of time. 
And he often talks about how teenagers see everything as life and death. And in this case, Kimberly really is facing, um, you know, she's careening towards the end of her life. And it it is, um, everything is about living this moment to the fullest. And um, so I guess to get into the part, I just, you know, I try to access um, what I think, you know, she's going through in that particular moment. And, but the designers, you know, Sarah Lux and our costumes and Jared Janice with my wig and everything about the show has been um, crafted for, for the audiences to believe that I'm truly a teenager. And to have the audience leave and feel that if this child who has the body of an older woman, like 70-year-old woman, and yet this child from a nutty kind of family, now everyone's got some kind of nutty family, but this one has more than her share, and she's determined to spend whatever time she has to find the world, and she's really very wise child, And it makes you sort of stop and think like, you know, I grew up with a mom who always said, seize the moment. It's going to be gone, you know, grab hold and relish it. Hey, guess what? That's what you've done, Joan. You have seized your moment. We've all tried, right? We're still seizing. But it's when you read it, did was it threatening at all? to be able to go back in time and find her again, that little girl that, or teenage girl that you were? Well, first of all, I read so many scripts and I rarely laugh out loud when I read them. And this script, this show is so funny. I I laughed out loud so many times and I thought, this is gonna have audiences roaring. And then you turn the page and then there's something that's so surprising that's like upsetting. And then you turn the page and then there was something else that was you know, really like stabs you in the heart and then you turn the page and there's something funny again. And so I love roller coasters. I mean, they're a little hard on my stomach, but I love them. And I, (laughs) this is a real roller coaster ride. And it was, it was unlike anything I'd read in years, honestly, since Piazza, which is something you brought up earlier. I mean, I have never encountered a show like this that, that makes you laugh so hard and then makes you really think about your life in a serious (laughs) way. Yes, and there are tears, there are. No, without question. But your story is fascinating too because you were a student, you went to Yale, and you sort of, you weren't always gonna start out as an actress. Did you know (laughs) early on that you had that gift of the voice? Well, I I do think it's a gift. I don't claim any ownership over it other than um, I've, I've developed it. And I think when you're born with the gift, you have to, it's your obligation to, to nurture it and polish it as much as possible. And I think that God gave me this uh, gift of my voice, but also this intense longing and, and, and desire to communicate and to heal. Um, and so I try to use my... Um, Try to use my time on this earth to to heal, and I think that the best way for me to do that is to be a storyteller and to um, to find ways to illuminate the human condition. I know that sounds a little 
a little, I don't know, corny, but but it's true. But I try to find ways to bring humanity to the characters that I play and also in the pieces that I direct so that um, people people can see themselves. They can see themselves in, in our work and and learn, oh, oh, I'm not alone. Really, I think that is the main thing I try to convey is that, hey, we've mm-hmm. got each other. You're not going on this journey by yourself. And um, healing and change are possible. And I, I always wanted to direct. I came to New York to direct. I went to graduate school for directing, uh, new work. Actually, new musicals is what I wanted to do. And every time I... <laughs> I take time off from acting <laughs> to direct and trying to make a stab in that direction. Um, yeah, I get pulled back to acting. So I think the universe may be trying to tell me something. And it's a, I'm very, very thrilled to be a part of this production. No, it's great. And when you, your son is a grown up now, right? In his 20s? He's almost 30. Yeah, he just oh. turned 28. Thanks for asking. Yeah, 28. He, How'd that happen? <laughs> I don't know, because I'm still 20, so I'm not really sure what happened. I'm actually 16, so. Oh, my gosh. When he saw it, was he shocked? Um, he loves it. And his girlfriend, Emily, loves it. They, they, um, they've come several times. Um, people who, people, my family and close friends are, are, <clears throat> very moved by it because they they've you know it takes a village um to support me through this part because it's so it's so it, it it requires so much stamina and energy and so i've had the support not just of my friends and family but our incredible cast i mean my my co-stars are astonishing um justin cooley you know i was gonna say that your co-stars are really terrific too it's Thank a you. wonderful ensemble. The whole group sort of blends into each other and so creates this so reality that, you know, holds you. And I'm telling you, you're laughing one minute, you're crying the next minute, and you're rooting so hard for this kid who is you. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I just want to give them a shout out because uh, Justin Cooley just graduated from high school a year ago. Oh my and he's, gosh! <laughs> he's my co-star. He's a, you know he plays my best friend and he's he's astonishing. Um, Bonnie Milligan is giving a breakout performance as my aunt Deborah. You know what's fun is that I'm way older than anyone else in the cast, but everybody most of plays them play. Older. My, yeah. <laughs> Um, Ali Mozzie, who's a Broadway favorite, she plays my mom. Stephen Boyer, who was in Hand of God, he's Tony nominee, he plays my dad. And then the, we have these four remarkable young actors who are who play sort of my friends at school, the four teenagers, and they're um, they're also just astonishing. Um, so it's it's <laughs> they they also create the illusion. I mean, because they see me as a teenager, so all of us all together you know, create this illusion of this world. And I'm happy that but, you... And it's, it becomes real. There's nothing self-conscious about it. And, <laughs> and no, but think about it. When you see people playing age different roles, particularly younger roles or kids, sometimes there's a lot of self-consciousness to try to make it possible, but there's none of that in uh, Kimberly Akimbo. Absolutely Thank none you. of it. You're just I appreciate open you to saying it. that. Thank you so much. And I'm sure you you feel that way. 
So did you have to audition or no? Oh, that's a funny story. Um, I, it was kind of like they wanted to, there was a big meeting, right? And I was directing Love Life at New York City Center. And it was, we were in rehearsal at, you know, in the New York City Center building. And Janine's office also happens to be there. And I, um, uh -huh. Janine had called me and I was terrified to like, <laughs> terrified to come in for it because it was a huge role and just like seemed mm. Like impossible, actually. Let me just say, it seemed impossible for anyone to play. And so um, I kept putting my agents off. And basically I said, um, I don't have time. I'm in pre-production for Love Life. There's in, I just don't have time. I'm sorry. Like, I just can't, I can't swing it. And they're like, well, what if they come to you? So everyone came to New York City Center where Janine's office was. And I couldn't say no because it was only, I only Not had to walk down there. the flight of stairs. Yeah, I was already there. So um, I did go in and I sang Anagram for them. And I think I sang a little bit of Make a Wish, which is Kim Kimmy's first big song. Yeah, in I the love musical. that. Mm -hmm. and, and I was, both of them are many pages long. And I, I read a few scenes and it wasn't really an audition. It was more like, how does, let's just look at her and see, does she, well, let's be clear. I think it was an audition. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes, it was. It was an audition. But, you know, like, it's such an unusual role. I think they wanted to see, like, what is she, how does she fit? And it it was, I kind of, like, love at first sight for me. I, I just fell in love with the material and fell in love with the authors and David and Janine and Jessica. Jessica Stone, the director, is an old friend of mine. We did How to Succeed Together with oh, Matthew Broderick. She replaced Megan Mullally. Oh, She's my a, gosh. She's an actress turned director and she's quite brilliant and she's the funniest person I know. And she's the perfect director for this piece. That, so did you know after that, I don't know what we'll call it, but that the part was yours or did you I wait? They, I think, no, I think they let me know pretty soon after that they wanted me. And then um, Janine had kind of already decided that it would be that something. It was yours. Yes, but I kept putting Janine off saying, I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And she was like, well, you need to come in and meet everybody. And um, and then and then then COVID, that was the that was when COVID. So my mm -hmm. when I read for everybody, it was like two weeks before it hit. Broadway shut down. Right. So then we had to wait. We had to wait a year and a half. So how exciting when it it finally opened and it was beloved by the tough New York critics. Yes. And I guess thinking back, I haven't really thought about this, but I, knowing that it was coming, um, I had so much time to think about it. It was like planting yeah. a little seed and watering and waiting for it to bloom and grow. So I had a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do with this child, with this character. And I think that really benefited the process. No, I'm sure. And then, of course, as audiences come in and you hear the reactions, you know, funny and and sad and everything else and like joyful to be back in the theater and celebrating with a show like this, which is definitely needed. It was it was overwhelming to be back in front I'm of audiences to, again. Yeah, I'm talking to <laughs> Victoria Clark and tell me. What is the story with December songs for voice and orchestra, big orchestra behind that one? Is that very recent? 
Yes, I that's just was just released in November. Uh, it's a I have to say I'm super proud of this. I'm very, you know, hard on myself and self-critical at times, but this recording uh, I'm very very proud of. It's my friend and colleague Maury Yeston who wrote Titanic and Grand Hotel and Nine. Um he he wrote a, a song cycle called December Songs. Um and it was originally commissioned many years ago um, for the reopening of Carnegie Hall. And, uh, it, oh, no, no, for the anniversary of, I forget which one, of Carnegie Hall. Right. <laughs> and it was conceived for voice and voice and piano. And Maury called me up in January about this time last year and said, would you like to do recording with a full orchestra? And Larry Hockman did the orchestrations and Ted Sperling, my my old and dear friend uh, conducted the orchestra and it is, it is a stunning album. I, I, I encourage people, you know, if you love Maury Yeston and if you love song cycles, this is a theatrical kind of tour de force. It's, it's not like a boring classical song cycle. Um, you know, some of them can be a little long. I mean, uh, but anyway, I mean, Venturiza is beautiful. It's sort of a female version of, Schubert's song cycle, Venturiza, but with more of a musical theater slash classical um, sort of mix. Yeah, and it's written for solo, too. So you you have a lot of, so you're on the stage all the time, and then this is yours. Yes, it's a solo. Yeah, it's just one voice. And Maury wanted a, an, an older voice. He wanted an older um, woman to record it. A lot of younger women have recorded it. And he's like, I need a woman that's really lived, has a few more miles on her tire, as I like the tires. So as I like to say. Yeah, but that woman is playing a 15-year-old down the street. I I don't have quite as many miles as you do, Joan, but I hope she'll be working and thriving, you know, when I I get up there with my mileage. That's right. But why not? You know, yeah, you've got not? the you've got the voice, you've got the energy, and um, it's you can do it. Thank you so much. Half of it is wanting to do it and having the talent, and it's all there. So, uh, is your son an actor, or did he escape? He escaped. <laughs> he escaped. You know, he's had he's an absolutely gorgeous baritone voice, and he studied with me. Um, you know, when he was a teenager, after his voice changed, and we discovered he had a, an incredible, beautiful instrument. And he did a few shows um, in high school and college, and I think he just decided it wasn't for him. He's actually, he's working on climate change. He has his own. Um, you know good for him. Yep. He's working on the sort of the, the major issue of his generation, which is, to save our to save our planet and to get people to think differently about climate. So he's he has um, a company where he's he is, he calls it a global incubator. So it's a it's a company where he is connecting people from all around the world to help solve each other's climate issues. If someone in Africa may have the solution for someone in Wales, or you know, like so he's connecting people from all over the world. Fantastic. And I read an interesting piece on you, how you got Stephen Sondheim's approval, which every singer, actress longs to get, but it took a bit to do it. Oh. Do you remember that? 
I do. I was playing Sally in Follies at New York City Center during during um, uh, a production of that, and it was really fun. Victor Garber played Ben, so I got to play opposite Victor Garber. Uh, it was it was the whole thing was a dream, and Sondheim was very much involved in the process, and he didn't like the way I was singing "Losing My Mind." Because he thought that I, I was singing it too much as, as Sally and not enough as a sort of a torch singer. Because all those, all those solos at the end of Follies, um, if your listeners know the show, it, during the Loveland section, everybody has a big solo. Um, and Sally's song is, a, is meant to be just like a torch song. And what he, what he was getting from my performance was that I was blending the character too much with the song. And he said, it's, it's not Sally. It's just some torch singer, which is hard to say to an actor because we blend everything. Right. Of so course. he's not really a director. He didn't really know what to say to make it work, but he, he just kept saying it didn't work, but everything he was telling me wasn't really helping, but it was like, okay, it was information that I could mm-hmm. use. And so I think we had six performances and after every performance, he'd come back and say, great job, but you did you don't have losing my mind. You don't have it. You don't have it yet. And then finally on the last night, I don't know if he just felt sorry for me or if I actually did get it the way he liked it, but he gave me a huge hug and he said, that was it. That was and it. What was, and what was different? <laughs> you know, honestly, Joan, I, I just, I tried to use his commentary and just try different things. I w- and so probably that night I tried to maybe distance myself from the material a little bit more and do something different maybe physically that Sally would never do. I don't actually remember exactly, but I do know that I made him happy. And it worked. Um, and and <laughs> it worked for him, yeah. It worked. Well, he would have been very happy to see you as Kimberly and Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway now at the Booth Theater. Thank you, Victoria. I love talking to you, loved your role, and I look forward to us talking again. Thank you, Joan. It's been a pleasure, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Victoria Clark, and go see that play. It's at the booth. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC and more ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. All right, I love talking to Victoria Clark, and I'm looking at the clock, And it looks like it's just about three o'clock. So I'm going to say, enjoy the rest of the weekend. I will meet you again next Sunday, starting at two o'clock. Have a great day. I'm Joan Hamper for WABC.